0: Well, I'd say we know a lot more than we did a month ago when we last taped. But the big fact is that we'll see some baseball this summer at least. Welcome in. Today is Thursday, June 11th, and this is the second edition of the Baseball in a Valley podcast by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, host of the podcast, JMU Football Beat Writer, we'll also covers some baseball locally. And I'm joined alongside by sports editor David Driver. David, how you doing? What's going on? You think there's going to be some baseball this year at some point with, with the major leagues? We know locally there is. You know,
1: I, I usually try to be optimistic about things in life. Um, uh, I think it's a good approach. Um, I've been kind of Pessimistic, um, I, you know. There's just so many hurdles to jump over. Um, you know, not only the labor situation, which you know has, has been a, not a problem for years, is now forefront. And then, of course, you got the, the COVID situation. It just seems like so many hurdles to jump over. Um, however, I think both sides realize that they're in danger of losing fans again, just like they did in the 1990s when the World Series was canceled. So. Um, ago i'd have said no and and now i'm leaning towards thinking okay they're going to somehow make this happen because you know the nba is going to start up again the nhl is going to start up again
0: the nfl you know we pretty much know they're going to play play. yeah so i mean soccer
1: i mean go down the list every pro sports both in europe u.s is somehow finding a way so for major league baseball not to play. be a terrible
0: black eye on the sport yeah no doubt we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later on got a lot to get to today because there's been a plenty uh baseball news no games but plenty of baseball news both locally and nationally to for, for us to discuss you got the mlb draft of course which is going on started wednesday night will continue later today the labor negotiations as we just touched on that, that's at the pro level uh but at the local level you know the rcbl Set to begin later this month but i want to start with college baseball since most significantly james madison and coach marlon eikenberry news i broke earlier this week agreed on a one-year extension to keep him in place through the 2021 season his original five-year deal was up at the end of 2020 Uh, And, of course, that was, you know, whether the season was a regular season or the truncated version the Dukes had this past spring. So, Marlon Eikenberry stays put at JMU. David, to me, it seemed like the absolute right thing to do. He went 10 and 6 this past season. You don't know what would have happened. Whether they would have continued to thrive, they had a really good roster this past year, probably the best since he's been uh, as the coach at JMU. Uh, but you don't know what would happen throughout the rest of the, you know, more than 75 percent of the season they had left. But do you think this was the right move from James Madison and, and for Marlon Eikenberry?
1: yeah I, I do greg and you've done a great job of covering them not only this year but in the past he, he's been more uh, in tune with them than i have but you know I, I know that even last year in the press box at nats park you know people would ask me um about the situation and, and his situation i and if you read your story and, and the comments that jeff Bourne made to you jeff was right on i mean you know we're, we're quick to criticize him when it comes to hirings especially basketball but i think in this situation the JMU Athletic Department made the right decision. Um, It it makes a lot of sense for so many levels, and and you touched on it in your
0: story. Yeah. To to hear what Jeff Bourne had to say, I did cut up the clip of what he said about extending Marlon Eikenberry after the shortened campaign. Here's what Jeff Bourne had to say, the James Madison Athletic Director.
1: I wanted to make sure that we were evaluating him on a full season and that uh, we were being fair. And when you looked at Last year, it was such a severe modification by not planting in the spring. We felt like it was appropriate just to extend a year and um, move into 2021. That was a fair, fair and right thing to do
0: in my mind. So that was Jeff Bourne on extending Marlon. I can very simply put the short story there is, you know, it just wasn't fair to evaluate him in, in a shortened campaign. And if you look, you look at Marlon, what he's done at JMU, David, and this this is probably one of the reasons to keep him, is that he's improved each season he's been there. The record of the program has improved from one year to the next. You look 2016 to 2017, they lost four less games. In 2018, they got to 500. Last year, 2019, they won 31 games, I think for the first time since 2011, uh, when 31 and 26 reached the CAA tournament for the second time in Marlins. 10 year and then this year they were off to a really good start they lost they got swept in that season opening series at NC State but that's a nationally you know top 15 ranked program Uh, but then they had won you know 10 of their last 13 games which was setting up really nice for them as as they were inching closer towards CAA play before the season was scrapped the fact that he's improved each year and I know it's not the massive leaps and bounds that maybe would ignite a fan base to, to, to start coming to the ballpark more regularly and uh, start drawing more interest. But the fact that there's been steady improvement shows that he's recruiting well and he's doing something right. Yeah, and, you know, and, and Jeff Warren has told you this, he's told me this, that the
1: goal there is to, to compete for a CAA championship in every sport that they're in, do that once out of every four years. It's a, it's a high mm-hmm. goal and, yeah. you know, for a lot. But, are there positive things happening in the program we know this this is a bottom line business if you had had situations where you know players are transferring uh, there's academic problems you know this from football i mean if mm-hmm. there's negative things happening besides the wins and losses then okay maybe you want to you do want to make a change but we haven't seen that right, right. everything is everything is kind of trending up
0: both on and off the field. Yeah, and he's got a really good staff there too. Jimmy Jackson, the pitching coach, is, is widely respected through, throughout the college baseball industry, and and, and, and that, that kind of says a lot. I know Ike has worked to keep him and, and AG, the hitting coach, on staff there, and I think that says a lot that that staff has stayed together uh, for as sure. long as Ike and Barry been at the school. I asked Marlon about how he felt about a one-year extension. Of course, every every coach would want a multi-year extension. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but this is what Marlon Eikenberry had to say about getting a one-year extension for, from James Madison. It's not
1: the first time I've been on a, on a, <laughs> on a one-year, uh, one-year contract. But, I mean, like last year, I knew I was on a one-year contract. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think of it that way. I, I think about it more, you know, how can I, better this program better this team this community and and make jamie baseball a great place to to play and for us to win a ca championship and
0: eikenberry who was the the former longtime coach at, at vmi uh he, he said you know the program goals at jmu hasn't changed since he arrived he still has very very high aspirations uh and this is kind of how he put it
1: well that's a great question that's something that you know i answered you know five years <laughs> ago um was to was to win the CAA championship, compete for a championship every year and eventually get to the point where we can host regionals. You know, you know, the vision that the vision that, you know, I, I still have and the vision that I think, you know, our, our, our staff has and we really feel that way. Um, you
0: know, as we continue to grow and, get, and, and really get better every day. So Eichenberry and JMU agreeing to a one-year contract extension, keep them in place in Harrisonburg through the 2021 season. They, they've done a lot of good, too, beyond the, the record. Uh, four draft picks produced last year, David. I, I think that says a lot, the most in program history since 2003 uh, to me. And, and you know kind of the Major League Baseball scouting circles well. You know, that, that – notoriety that, that they got last year, uh, I'm sure has is, is kind of sent waves through the industry to pay attention to JMU a little bit more. Yeah, I mean,
1: and all of those, almost all of those guys had really good pro debuts last year. You know, I've written a lot about Shelton Perkins, uh, who's in the Orioles system, and you've touched on a lot of the guys as well. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is a big part of a Division I baseball program. Are Are you having players drafted? on a regular basis and and uh, JMU had a law there they've had hmm. a law from, from the good old days um, but it now seems to be going back I mean if you have you know if you're have four or five players drafted from a CA program um, I think that's that's pretty impressive I mean Wilmington and Charleston are further south they're going to have draft picks every year as well but JMU needs to get back to where they used to be in that regard with
0: draft picks yeah what do you think that the ceiling is for, for James Madison Baseball. Do you think they can get to a point where they're like the softball program, as a perennial CAA favorite and NCAA regional appearance type of program, or do you think that's not realistic in baseball because some of the other programs in the CAA that have had a little bit more success historically, or at least recent success? Yeah, it's it's you put me on the spot there. Yeah, I
1: mean mean, (laughs) Wilmington and Charleston. I mean again. Um, not only the fact that they're further south, they might draw a better recruiting base. They have great facilities. But, I mean, look, JMU has great facilities, too. Um, you're, in a, you're in a conference right now, as, as we speak today. It has a lot of teams further north than you. Um, and, and surprisingly, you know, northeastern Delaware, they've had their share of success in baseball in the past, too, being in northern climates. But I, I guess if I had to answer your question, yeah, there's no reason why JMU can't be third. Uh, on a regular basis behind Wilmington and
0: Charleston. Yeah, and, and and getting that CA tournament regularly. I think that should be the goal is, is playing that CA tournament almost every year and then have a shot to win that thing, you know, once every three or four years. I have a real shot to win it where you go in thinking you can win it, you know, every every three to four years. I think that that probably is a little more realistic for James Madison. So that's what's happened with the current staff and, and and the program currently. But I did want to touch on, before we move on to some other things, since we're talking JMU, a sad note. Of course, last week, and we wrote about it in the Daily News record, Brad Babcock, the former James Madison baseball coach, longtime coach of the Dukes, who led JMU to the College World Series in 1983, passed away last week. A sad note, David, but a heck of a baseball career, heck of a time at tenure at james madison not only in baseball but was an assistant for chalice mcmillan on the football field did some jv basketball coaching uh worked at administration after he, he hung up the baseball cleats really really sad note
1: yeah um you know I, I was fortunate enough to talk to him about a month ago a lot of people were, were surprised by his passing i think it came about suddenly um just just a a baseball guy, and you talked about some of the other sports he did. He actually told me he thinks he's the only uh, male coach at JMU to coach all three of those sports at various levels. Uh, he had some great stories. Um... And and I I didn't get a chance to share a lot about this, but he talked about um, when he was in administration, Lefty Drizelle was the coach Mm -hmm. uh, for for basketball. And everybody knows Lefty's a character. And, uh, you know, they would have some really cool conversations. Um, They didn't always agree, but um, Brad and Lefty just – they got along. Mr. Babcock would have to tell lefty Giselle that, hey, some of the things you did at the University of Maryland we can't do here (laughs) um, in polite polite terms. But, I mean, mean, this isn't just a local Harrisonburg story. This, this in some ways, is a national story. It's a regional story. Uh, His passing made uh, D.C. radio. Um, Of course, the fact that Jamie was the first team from Virginia to make the College World Series. Um, just Just a great career. I mean, and then the fact that his son is now the athletic director at a you know at a power five school. I mean, there's quite a legacy there.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, JMU, the only Virginia school to get to the College World Series up until about what a decade ago when when UVA started. Making some headway and and really becoming one of the elite programs nationally. It's always tough, just just in my opinion, and and I've had to do it a couple times since I I got to JMU and started on the JMU beat. Is you know write about people who have passed that, that you didn't know. You know, Brad, Babcock wasn't around at JMU when, when I when I came to the school uh, when I came to the paper to write about the school and the football program uh, but you learn about these people from from talking to those who knew him best and you, you hear from Lorenzo Bundy the the double-a manager for the New York Mets who has had his stints in, in major league baseball coaching uh, with the Dodgers and the Marlins under Don Mattingly and you, you just hear him talk and Light up when he when he when he hear when he when he mentions and brings up stories that he remembers about Brad Babcock how he signed you know his letter of intent in Brad Babcock's car in the parking lot before a, a high school all star game uh, that he was going to go to JMU and then Randy Foster the the pitcher who you know had that great game in, in the semifinal uh, the regional semifinal that helped get the Dukes to uh, the, the college World Series in '83, uh, telling telling the story, you know how he was diagnosed with cancer, and and Babcock was telling him, you know, you, you throw complete games, that's you, uh, because he had thrown that complete game gem against the Citadel in that regional semifinal. So, you know that 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 kind of thing, you know, it gives some insight about the man that did lead JMU to all that success on the diamond. So, uh, very sad news there, and and like you said, David, you were one of the, I would think you were maybe the last reporter to talk to him, because we ran a Q&A that you did with him uh, last, was it last month or in April, I, I can't remember exactly, uh, but uh, yeah, what did what, you take away just from that conversation you had with him, uh, probably the last time a reporter spoke with him?
1: Yeah, I, I think you know, as someone that grew up in Harrisonburg in the 70s and 80s and kind of watched JMU go from uh, you know, Division Three to Division One. It's really to to broaden it out a little further. Is we're seeing a passing of of some of these men and women. Yeah. That, you know, with Chalice McMillan passing away over the holidays, uh, Athletic Director Dean Ehlers passed away, uh, I believe, in, in 2019. This That's... this generation of men at this uh, at this level who kind of put JMU on the map. Yeah. Um, uh Just. You have to go back to Dr. Carrier and Dean Aylers for for the job they did in hiring these guys to take over programs. I mean, Hmm. you know, know, Chalice McMillan, there was no football field. I mean, you know, so um, for Bad Babcock, they had to, you know, use maybe not the greatest facilities to get things started. But, yeah, we really are seeing a passing of the torch uh, for people that put JMU
0: athletics on the map. Yeah, I knew McMillan a little bit. Uh, when I had to write about his passing, and then that was sad. But didn't know Ehlers, uh, didn't know Babcock. But from talking to the people that knew them best, you know, you, you could get the sense that, you know, those are the that's kind of the foundation of James Madison athletics is is those 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 four uh, that that we just <laughs> talked about. Bundy and, and and Foster, you know, I, I know from just talking to them, they had they had their stint in the RCBL. Uh, you had your stint in the RCBL. Uh, kind of an awkward transition, but but we're going to talk about it now because the RCBL is two weeks away from three, two and a half weeks away from them getting going, and it's great that they're going to play. Uh, since we last spoke on this podcast, they had. Not announced anything other than that they still had the intention to play, whereas the Valley League had already canceled. Right. Uh, but the RCBL going to play, going to get going June 27th. And David, I, I think it's going to be some pretty good baseball. I think this is a this is going to be kind of a reigniting of the county league. Yeah,
1: you know. You you've been covering it the past few years. I I haven't been able to see games that that recently, but, um, yeah, I mean, if you've read some of the stories, um, you know, the the new market coach uh, told the Winchester paper about just how the fact that the Valley League isn't playing and so the the rosters are going to be stronger in the County League, I think that's what we're going to see. I mean, um, you know, JMU, of course, you know, is going to have several players in the County League. They always have, Um, but this might be a year where, yeah, I mean this. This is going to be really interesting. I mean, um, you know, yeah, there are other leagues around the country. I'm sure adult leagues that are going to play, but. Um yeah, up down the East Coast, there's not too many leagues that have the history of the county league, so it's it's going to be really interesting to watch and see what happens.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. And, and I can bury, when I when I talked to Marlon earlier this week about the contract extension, we also got into just naturally a little bit about what's going on in the area, and of course, you know what what's what's happening with his guys this summer. And he said basically, depending on where they're from, they're either playing in the county league or going to play in a a Northern Virginia league that that just started because he's got so many players from Northern Virginia on a roster as well on his roster. Uh, But he said, man, local baseball, he goes, it's, you know, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic uh, because a lot of these leagues have, have seen kind of a, I think they kind of taken a hit uh, with how many of the collegiate summer leagues have popped up in terms of college players wanting to go off and do something a little bit different. Uh, and, And, you know, for, for James Madison they got it got it good where the fact that they can put their players in a valley league regularly they've had other guys go up to Cape Cod or or go out go out to the league that you know the Cal Ripken League up in Maryland uh, now it keeps guys local keep guys, keeps guys at home because parents don't want to send their kids off to Cape Cod or off to Alaska. Right. Not that yeah. they have the option this year. It keeps them at home. and you know Maybe this is something that impacts the future a little bit because if you think about it, if all these kids are spread out and going to different places, leaving schools to go to a state on the other side of the country or the middle of the country, what's the difference, really, if, if all these leagues are jumbled? Whereas if you keep it a little more regional and a little more local and players can live at home, you don't got to worry about host families. Maybe... Right. Uh, maybe it's a little better. I don't know. That's just that's just my opinion. Yeah,
1: I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it, it's I, you know, yeah, parents. Uh, you know, as a father, I mean, um, yeah, you're you're always cautious about where you send your children, and um, you know, this league is set up perfectly. I mean, um, you know, there's I just did something on a bunch of guys from Shenandoah University in Winchester. Um, you know they're going to play for Newmarket yeah. this summer. I mean, they can make that drive down, head back to their apartment in Winchester. Limited exposure to other people. Um, uh, really good. This is kind of an aside, but uh, one of the D.C. stations, radio stations, did an interview this week with Iowa. Iowa High School Baseball is starting up, uh, probably the first state in the in the country to have high school yeah. baseball. Um, so, they, you know, that was interesting talking about some of their plans. It was real, you know, social distancing and, you know, having groups of, say, five work together and try to keep people apart. So, obviously, baseball and softball are probably geared for this better than any sport,
0: right? hmm yeah, I, I would I would totally agree, and I I think I saw the RCBL put out kind of some of its some of its guidelines. I think maybe that fans couldn't quite sit together on the bleachers, but you bring a lawn chair and you spread out the way those fields are set up. That's realistic. You can do that in the RCBL because those those teams, David, and I know you know this from playing in a league and and knowing people who have been associated with the league for a long time. You know those teams have their local. Fan bases that that show up each night when the, those teams are home. I know Montezuma over there at the kind of mini field the dreams uh, there in Dayton that that you know they have their regulars that that show up, and as long as you bring a lawn chair and can can sit six feet apart, you sit with your family and six feet apart from another family. Uh, that I think it'll be good, and you'll you'll be able to get people in the stands from that standpoint. And then in terms of on the field, the way it's set up with, with baseball is. That uh, you know, players are, are standing pretty far apart regularly, other than maybe the batter and the catcher and the umpire. Uh, but you, yeah. work, you work around that and you do that and you, you play and, and you figure it out. But I, I think it'll be good. Uh, I know a number of JMU players will be in it. McDonald, Liam McDonald, Matthew Kleinfeld there. They're going to pitch at Broadway. They're supposed to play for the Turks in, in the Valley League, but they're just following Bob Weiss, who's on that Broadway staff. I'm going to follow him there. Justin Showalter. He's going to pitch for Bridgewater. Uh, you, you wrote the story about Cade Kemple- Templeton, the former Harrisonburg High School standout, uh, now at Shenandoah, who's going to pitch for Newmarket. Uh, so it'll be fascinating. And, and you know what's going to be kind of cool, too, David, is you got all these college players who are teammates during the spring and during their college seasons. Uh, now they're going to be playing against each other. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that'll be a, a nice... Uh, I think there's going to be a JMU pitcher with New Market as well. Yeah. Um, from uh, from Winchester, so yeah, it's, it is really going to be interesting. Um, you know, I don't know. Back in my day, um, you know, most of the JMU guys, if they played in the county league, I mean, this is going way back. They would play for Linville. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually, yeah, usually they would be on the same team. Not always, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, that'll that'll bring another uh, d- dynamic to it.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm sure we'll do more of an in-depth preview. I know we're going to certainly do it in a paper in the the Daily News record, but on this podcast as well, once we get a little closer to the season, I think we'll certainly uh, do a little bit more in-depth preview outlook, maybe some interviews as well, uh, bring on some players and maybe a coach or two uh, with what's going on and and hear about their excitement uh, for the county league, figure out who's on what roster. Uh, and, and 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 all of that, and get you set up uh, to see what's going on in the RCBL uh, in a couple of weeks. But that'll come. That'll come then, and, and we'll get to that at some point. But a couple other things I wanted to get to before we wrap up uh, this edition of the Baseball in a Valley podcast by the Daily News Record. I mentioned Justin Showalter pitching for Bridgewater. Uh, who knows? He he might have been pitching for you know short season Brooklyn or uh, sh- short season Aberdeen. Uh, if, he, if, he, if, if the Major League Baseball draft wasn't cut uh, from 40 rounds to five rounds. But the draft started on Wednesday night, continues later today uh, with rounds two, three, four, and five. Uh, and, David, what were your opinions? I know you told me you, you, you tuned in for a little bit of the Major League Baseball draft. On Wednesday, uh, what was your opinion right off the cuff? I know it was supposed to be a big event out in Omaha at the College World Series. Turns into kind of what it's looked like over the last couple of years. Yeah, I,
1: you know, I haven't been able to follow it quite as much this year as in the past, but um, it, it, now you can follow it on your on your laptop, so that was kind of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I guess for our listeners and the readers of the news record, obviously, the Nationals and the Orioles are, are the two you know two local mm-hmm. teams. Um, the Orioles had the second overall pick uh, after the Tigers, um, and the Orioles went with an, an outfielder from Arkansas, uh, Heston, and I, his last name is Dutch. My wife tells me, so I don't even know if I should try to pronounce it, but it's like
0: Erstad. I, so, I think that's correct. I think, okay, I, think well, I think I, I think know. I heard on uh, Major League Baseball Network last night. Uh, do you remember Darren Erstad? I think they said yes. it rhymes with yeah. Erstad. Uh-huh, there you go, good, so, uh, yeah, so, um, and, and the Netherlands has great
1: baseball, by the way, but he, he was born in Texas, um, um, was drafted out of high school by Seattle really late, uh, but, but uh, you know, went to Arkansas, I was reading his bio last night, you know, freshman of the year, you know, all c CDC, c, um, just great honors, uh, and so actually I was able to get on the Zoom call with him last night with a bunch of the Baltimore media, and, he said all the right things. Um, you know, uh, wants to hit all fields. Needs to work on pitch selection. Um, but uh, some baseball fans may remember that uh, Andrew Beninetti uh, from for the, the Boston Red Sox was, a, was an outfielder for Arkansas 1st on pick few years ago. So there. So yeah, a great program. Um, uh, Heston's dog went viral last night <laughs> because he jumped up and down after he was picked. But yeah, you know, nice kid. Um, you know, Orioles. You know, and obviously there's
0: a local connection with, with Hanafy from Turner Ashby in the Orioles system. They're something, trying to stop, stop yeah. as many young players as they
1: can. So um, that was the Orioles' first-round pick last night. And uh, the Nationals, no surprise, picked a right-handed pitcher. <laughs> uh, Kate Cavalli, 22nd overall. Um, University of Oklahoma, just a huge guy. I don't know if you if yeah. saw it on TV. I mean, he looked like a linebacker. Um Big right-hander who's had some arm problems. It's the exact type of player that the Nationals will pick—a guy with a high upside. They're not scared by injuries. They're not. They picked one guy one year who'd already had a Tommy John surgery. So, um, yeah. So that's that was the, the, the first-round picks last night for the Nats and the Orioles.
0: Yeah. So it was Spencer Torkelson who went first overall to Detroit, uh, third right. baseman out of Arizona State. Uh, the note that I picked up on. How about this, David? The New York Mets at number 19, Pete Crow Armstrong from Harvard Westlake High, one of the great baseball high school uh, baseball programs in the country, 19th yes. overall to the Mets, yes. center fielder. Did you know this? This was the fun fact I learned from reading some things this morning about the Mets draft pick. And all you guys know I'm a diehard Mets fan at this point, if you, if you listen to the podcast the last time or know anything about me. His mom actually played uh, the mom – in Little Big League. If you ever saw the Little Big League movie uh, about the Minnesota Twins and the manager uh, who's a kid, takes over the team. Uh, but his mom was, is an actress in that movie and one of the great movies I watched growing up as a kid. So welcome welcome to New York, Pete.
1: Well, this is interesting because Lucas Giolito went huh? to the same high school yeah. in the, and if I, my memory, sir, of course he was a pick of the Nationals I got to meet his parents when he made his debut. I want to say that his mother appeared on Seinfeld. I think I have. So, I mean, it blows away all the stereotypes. I think if you're a kid growing up in Hollywood, you know, being a baseball player, yeah, you got great weather, right? You think, okay, these kids are rich and why would they bother with baseball? Well, these guys are blowing that stereotype out of the water, right?
0: Yeah, oh, for for sure. Yeah, I mean, working hard uh, to get where they are. No, no, no doubt about that. So interesting draft pick there for the Mets. Kind of a fun fact attached to it. But the O's and the Nats, I think, got better as well with Heston Kirsten out of Arkansas for Baltimore, uh, and, and Cade Cavalli out of the University of Oklahoma to Washington. And and, and I just want to get to one thing because uh, it it would have been neat had it been forty rounds to to see where. You know Justin Showalter, uh, the Turner Ashby graduate, and James Madison right-hander who was off to just such a great start this season. Nick Stewart for JMU, who you know has has great stuff. I remember running into a, a scout from the Nationals last year at a JMU game who just you know raved about raved about Stewart. Uh, so I know he's certainly certainly someone big league scouts have paid attention to. Uh, you know, had it been 40 rounds, and you never know. The draft is a crapshoot. Anything can happen, and maybe uh, some team decides to take one of these guys later. But it would have been fun to see where those two ended up, David.
1: Yeah, you know, you're right. Um, I mean, this, this, this COVID has obviously, you know, been terrible for a lot of people, especially people that have lost loved ones. So mm-hmm. um, on a very less important
0: note, you know, it's it's ended the minor league careers of several. Oh, for people. sure. Um and, and you're right. There there are people who are
1: not going to get an opportunity to start their pro baseball career because of this. So, um, I guess you have to put it in perspective. It's you know, as we say, as we you know say, it's life isn't fair. Um and, but it is unfortunate. I mean, the it seems like especially amateur baseball players have really been hit hard by this COVID.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I don't You know, some teams have cut a percentage of their minor leaguers. Uh, I know the A's went back and forth on whether or not to pay their players. Maybe some uh, political pressure from the outside, I think, finally had their their owner decided to pay their minor leaguers uh, their stipends, I think, through August or September. I can't remember exactly which month, but uh, certainly amateur baseball has been hit hard. And I think that's something, too, you think about this draft being five rounds, that and any of the free agents afterwards that'll sign cuz i think you can sign up you can sign players up to $20,000. Right. Uh right. Mm-hmm. that's something they're going to have to decide on is whether or not they're going to a place where they can succeed and they they know well they'll have a job at some point next year because for from all accounts this is just the beginning of uh, tough time for minor league baseball ahead because yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I know you've reported on it. What's, what's your take there and the impact that could have on draft picks, whether they sign or not, and the free agents too afterward?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, baseball was already dealing with a lot of stuff even before the virus, and like you said, um, so next year we're going to probably see 30 or 40 uh, less towns across America that have a minor league team. Um, that was already – coming down the pike before covid um you know frederick maryland is, yeah. is one of the, those towns that is on the cutting block and of course brennan hanafee pitched there last year so yeah it, i mean boy I, I don't envy some of these college students that are having to make this decision um you know do i go back to school do i sign you know there's going to be less prospects in a system now because of less minor league teams so it's going to weed things out a little bit. You're maybe not going to have that guy that plays seven or eight years in the minor um, as, quote, an organizational guy. I mean, one guy, for example, before your time, Greg, Jake Lowry uh, was, was a catcher at JMU, high pick of the Indians. Um, Got to see him last year in the Nats system. He was a catcher. So catchers usually get to stick around a while. So he told me he was, even before the virus hit, he planned to go into coaching but um you know Alec Keller is from Richmond uh, played college ball at Princeton um, was in the Nat system outfielder he was released a few weeks ago yeah. uh, he was on the cusp of you know maybe being a fourth or fifth outfielder for somebody mm-hmm. um, so yeah his, his pro career is probably over and he would have had no way to know that last
0: September certainly a uh, different time in terms of the amateur baseball the minor league baseball side and it's something major league baseball which i think is is you know big part of how this labor deal and the problems got started if you remember before they started talking about playing this year that's Rob Manfred and the owners and also the Major League Baseball Players Association Uh, before they started about talking about how to play this year they were trying to figure out how long and how short how much the draft picks would be paid and that was a kind of a little bit of a back and forth before Manfred implemented the the five-round draft himself uh, now you look at what Major League Baseball is dealing with David, and it's it's been a headache. It's been a public relations disaster uh, for both the owners and the players over the past month. Yeah, it
1: really has. Um, if, if you're interested in following one, one viewpoint, uh, Sean Doolittle is a really good follow on Twitter. Uh, former University of Virginia uh, first baseman and lefty pitcher, of course, with Washington. He's you know his his political views are at one one. Uh, extreme. Um, But he's, you know, he's got some really good views on this. Um, I'm sure there's other voices out there to follow. It's, it's complicated. I'm not, I don't even pretend to understand it. I mean, I think there's a lot of baseball fans that don't really care about the, the financial aspects of the game. I mean, they're saying, look, you know, these guys are making, I don't even know what the the major league average these days it's probably 2 million. Um, You know, the minimum is, is, 500,000, I think, the last time I looked. So, but the, and we've talked about this before. Yeah. The, average, the average fan says, look, these guys are making tons of money. Just play baseball. And, and, and I totally get that. Um, but just this, the COVID situation, the labor unrest, it's just it's just made it for a really difficult situation. Um, you know, the NBA, I kind of admire the NBA and that they've they picked one location. And you know, the idea of say playing in Arizona and playing in Florida, just picking those two sites, I, I kinda now see that would have that, that might have been a good way to go because you're you're flying all over the country on planes and you know, with worrying about the virus. So I don't know, I don't envy people in Major League Baseball trying to figure this
0: out, that's for sure. No, no doubt. And of course all this is with the backdrop of having that twenty twenty one CBA be up. I I think that's what part uh, part of what is keeping tensions so so tough and so tight uh, is that that that's kind of the backdrop for all this is that the players and the owners will, will go into a negotiation uh, for, for for the for a new labor contract uh, moving forward after you know when the deal's up in 2021. So uh, a lot of issues there for Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred and the Players Association. Uh, to sort through and like you said i think the average fan sees millionaires and billionaires squabbling over a couple of bucks here and there and they're just like all right the rest of the world's taking a big hit people have been hurt by furloughs or layoffs and and are trying to get back to work you know why shouldn't baseball take their hit too so there's a lot of money at stake uh, and it was interesting. I read, I read, or listened to a podcast with Ken Rosenthal, and he brought up something really interesting. Is while the players, you know, want to have this extended season and play as many games as possible because that means they'll get paid more, the owners are kind of set in stone on finishing the regular season by September, and that's because they don't want to mess Fox up, uh, the television partner, uh, with all the money, uh, with, with all the money, beca- with all the advertising and television money, because Fox doesn't want to get disrupted. Uh, with right. their election coverage uh, they want to keep their their baseball coverage on time and don't yeah. want to get pushed because they need that election money. Uh, so I thought I thought that was very, very fascinating a whole piece of this that I didn't even think about. Uh, so as everybody's squabbling over money uh, there are people in this country that just are like don't I don't care just, just tell me when they're gonna play and, and I'll show yeah. up and watch or I'll watch on TV rather I don't think anybody's going to the ballpark this year but uh, uh, it'll it'll be interesting nonetheless, but I, I think the bottom line is, and you heard Manfred say it last night on, on both Major League Baseball Network and ESPN that there's going to be baseball one way or another. And, and that means either he's implementing it or the players and the and, and, the, and the owners have come to a deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I mean, I, th- I think you probably know. We, I know we, I'm know. i sure we both know of people that really were turned off by Major League Baseball in the 90s. Um, no because, doubt. You know, and it took, you know, I have some friends that they never came back. Some <laughs> eventually did. Um, yeah. You know, they just they just don't want to take that risk again. I mean, and especially they're seeing every other pro sport make an attempt to play. And, um, you know, and baseball is outdoors. I mean, yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, I, I think it's just a, you know, and Rob Manford was already coming under fire before a lot of this happened with the virus and everything. Yep. So, um, boy, it's, it's a tough situation. But, you know, again, I go back to Sean Doolittle. Even though he's has – you know, one viewpoint, he still says, hey, we want to play, I mean, we, we understand the importance that it brings to the cities, the people, fans need a something to look forward to, um, so, yeah, it's a tough situation, but, and, and I'm like, I think also, like, there's a good point, what you said, is that, um, you know, whether it's a 40-game regular season or 70, I mean, yeah, there's going to be more teams in the playoffs, but You just have to. I mean, you're not going to have 160 games, so I'm not saying 40 games is good, you know. But if it's 70, then play 70 and
0: and then start the playoffs. Yeah, I think you got to find a way to have a season, especially. And you brought up the NBA and the NHL. What if they figure it out this summer, and it seems like they will, and they're going to play. And uh, Major League Baseball isn't, and they realize, holy cow, this TV opportunity is way better. There's going to be more eyeballs on us, you know, in the summer months than there is during the fall and winter when we're competing with football. I think that's a huge part of this too that Major League Baseball cannot let slip away, because the average fan will be turned off if baseball, you know, goes dark for whatever it'll be until April, you know, 2021, going to uh, what? Nat, when the Nats won the World Series. Uh, last October, 18 months, if baseball goes dark, uh, while the NHL and NBA are taking advantage of the, the open platform, uh, if baseball can't figure it out. So I think bottom line is baseball's got to play, they got to figure it out, and they got to get back on the field. Uh, before you know, before all is said and done, any season is better than nothing. 80 games, of course, is better than 70, and, and down the line, but you figure it out, and you got to have a season. So uh, I'm sure we'll get an answer soon. They're going to have to come up with something uh, because if they want to get on the field in July, they need a couple weeks for spring training, and and uh, you know that that you know time is ticking. <laughs> Basically, is is a good way to put it. Uh, but uh, David, anything else uh, you think is important that we we touch on or uh, we about good here on this edition of the Baseball in Valley podcast. You know,
1: for no baseball games being played, there's, there's still <laughs> a, lot to, a lot to talk about. Great job uh, walking us through it. Um, you know, I think we've hit on most of the major things. And hopefully the next time we talk, uh, we'll be even closer to seeing a first pitch at some level in, in the central Shenandoah Valley.
0: Yeah, I think we'll be closer to the RCBL. Like I said, we'll do a preview podcast here for that the before the RCBL season hopefully by then we can touch on a little Major League Baseball too when they figure it out uh, and get people back actually on the field but for David Driver I'm Greg Medea wrapping up this edition of the Baseball in the Valley podcast on June 11th saying thanks for tuning in.